we're racing through the winter term and across the country big decisions are being mulled over. Heady were the days when our teens only had to weigh up whether or not they were too old for trick-or-treating because for Year 11 students now is the time to start thinking about colleges and important decisions around courses and places. Decisions that will likely have a big impact. How properly scary is that? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, of course, we're interested in the highs and lows, the trials and tribulations of the run-up to exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything, from trouble getting going to burning the candle at both ends, from overzealous and anxious to underperforming but nonchalant. Through these shared real-world experiences, we hope that you'll be taking some comfort that you're not alone. Perhaps, more importantly, I also really hope that you'll take away some insights and some advice that will help you to support your own team, so that they'll not only just survive the exams, but thrive in the preparation. So, if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm chatting to Jill Wormsey. As well as having been through the experiences of sixth form with her eldest daughter, now at university, Jill is the head of sixth form at Warminster School in Wiltshire. Hi Jill, it's great to have you on the podcast this week. Before we begin looking at the kinds of issues and decisions that young people and their parents will be weighing up, as I've said, you've been through this personally only a couple of years ago. So I wondered, what springs to mind if we could cue the wavy lines and transport you back to that time when you were going through this with your own daughter? Oh, goodness. I think the first thing that sprang to mind really was how fast secondary school goes. You know, I couldn't believe that we were attending a sixth form open evening when actually it was only it only seemed like yesterday when she was starting secondary school and and that inevitable, I'm walking myself to school, you're embarrassing me, you know, I need to do that on my own now. So sixth form, sixth form for my daughter was relatively easy. She went to a school in Dorset, Gilligan School, in fact, started there in year seven, made a really good reputation in sixth form. However, we did go and look at another school because my daughter's very sciencey. And so we did go and visit what was the UTC in Salisbury. <laughs> it's closed now, so it was short-lived. But it was, uh, <laughs> it was quite interesting going and seeing another establishment, really, and especially one that specialised in science and engineering because that was something that she was particularly interested in. I guess a big thing for me was, you know, she was still is a relatively shy individual and doesn't make friends easily and so really her going to another school would have been a big big step Um, and I think to to any parent that that's got to be a factor if you're lucky enough to have a school with a sixth form then that might be a sort of natural transition although being ahead of sixth form myself I know that some people have literally had enough of the place that they've been and so our, our want to go and, and have a totally different change. For my daughter, we ultimately made the decision that she would stay put. She had a small group of, of good friends. None of them were thinking about moving. 
And so, you know, she just transitioned into the sixth form quite naturally. I'm head of sixth form at Warminster School and I have a role to play in terms of, you know, yes, marketing our sixth form, but I've also got a role to make sure that uh, the, our pupils at the end of year 11 go to wherever they're going to be successful. For some of them, staying on in our sixth form isn't right because we don't have the courses that interest them that they would possibly do best on. So part of my job is to, to counsel them in where they would look and how to go about doing that and interview practice and things along those lines. So I could just say, actually, if you're not interested in my sixth form, then I'm not interested in you. But that to me is a little immoral, really. So. And it seems to me that they form the basis of that big decision. Isn't it? It's the courses that you want to do and the kinds of things you're interested in, or you being the student, and then also that fit whether or not it's the right thing for the individual like you my daughter's been at the same school and, and my son was before her from reception and so it, there is this sort of tendency I think to think actually the, the sick form is the right place to be because of personality types and subject types but how much do you think I suppose that the children sort of crave a change at this stage. Do you know, I don't know whether or not it's related maybe to the pandemic, but we've certainly noticed over the past, you know, sort of 18 months, fewer people choosing to leave the school because it's a comfortable place, as well as obviously being a very good sixth form, I have to say. But, you know, just a little, yeah, thank you. Excellent. I think that the lockdown experiences have really impacted people's decisions and they have chosen to be possibly less, you know, adventurous than possibly they would have been before. Although on saying that, we lose, if that's the correct word, pupils to FE colleges because of the heavily vocational provision, you know, that FE colleges can can offer. And we just simply can't compete with that nor really should we we don't have the staffing expertise you know and and they do so for me it's almost encouraging those pupils to be adventurous and go and try new things because deep down you know that that's the best path for them and that if they were to stay with us yes okay they'll get some qualifications but to me being in the sixth form is more than just bits of paper it is about you know, you stretching yourself and, you know, developing independent skills and things. And half the battle of that is doing courses that you're going to be very successful on and really enjoy. I think that's the interesting bit for me, certainly thinking about it with Emily, is I guess deciding what those courses should be and whether or not this decision, whether it involves staying or, or going to a different FE college, it's sort of trying to pin down what's the kind of thing that she's interested in and how narrowing that will become or not. For some pupils, I think it's quite easy if they know that they want to pursue a, a university course to go on and be doctors, for example. They know that they're going to need sciences, maths and that kind of thing. But for the majority of students, it seems to be much more, I don't know, not nebulous, but I guess much more open about what it is that they should be doing next. Also, if you look at the careers, if I think back to my parents and, you know, they were obsessed, you had to have a job. You know, it's okay, you're brilliant, you're going to go to university. What are you going to do after that? Your university, your qualifications had to lead to a job. I think now, you know, in the world of education and, and even in early jobs, you're looking at skills, transferable skills, because you're not going to stay in the same job for your entire life anymore. I mean, okay, on saying that, I have been a teacher. But if I look at my career, I've never stayed 
just being a teacher. You know, I've had various different roles that have required me to develop various different skill sets. So actually, that is that's really true. And I remember that from when I had my first job, although my degree was in law, so I, th I thought that was going to be the path I was going to take. I ended up dealing in new media in a financial services company and actually surrounded by people who'd been there, and man and boy, as the phrase goes. But I, mean, I think since then, I mean, people just started to see that job security wasn't wasn't there for them and so I mean, certainly myself i think i've worked for five six seven eight nine ten different employers over time so as you say actually having those skills that you can pick up and, and move around becomes key but i wonder too how much does sort of your cv and getting the best grades that you can is that the kind of thing do you think that still has an impact oh absolutely but I mean, obviously, an employer is going to be really impressed, aren't they, with, you know, a, a three A levels, a, you know, A's, A stars, you know, I mean, who wouldn't be? But it's how you then evidence those soft skills, which is really difficult for young people. So, you know, where they do work experience. And uh, I, I mean, most schools will try and do two work experience blocks, maybe one at key stage four and then one in the sixth form. I always get our sixth form placements to be without wanting to insult the key stage four placements more meaningful because that might be that bit on their UCAS form that actually, you know, the, the, the offer all hangs on, you know, it's, it's those little bits that they, they can put in the voluntary work. A friend of mine is actually an admissions tutor for a localish university. And she says, I can't bear reading. And they've done Duke of Edinburgh. She said, you know, oh, she said, but actually what is interesting is when somebody talks about, you know, having, you know, work experience in a nuclear physics department of a hospital. She said, and, and actually here they are, they're applying to do physics and they've actually done some real, you know, work. So I'm quite mindful of how pupils can develop their soft skills related to different aspects of work. And again, I would say there's, there's no such thing as a bad work experience because you'll learn something from it regardless. I mean, we've had pupils that were desperate that wanted to go into, you know, I remember one girl, Emma wanted to be a nurse in an operating theatre. Absolutely obsessed. That's what she wanted to be. And so we managed to get her into Salisbury District Hospital, in fact. And day one, absolutely hated it. She ended up on the floor. She'd passed out. It was an absolutely horrendous experience for her. But... She then spent the rest of the week in the Burns unit. And that's where she then ended up, you know, putting on her, her application that, you know, it was a good experience. You know, she'd learned that actually she didn't, you know, couldn't handle that sort of side of things, that surgery was not for her. But, you know, the rehabilitation and she now is one of the leading practitioners in plastics. You know, so she's taken it, you know, and gone that little bit further. So from what could have been a catastrophic work experience placement actually has begun an exceptional career. It's soft skills, I think, that are so important. And difficult I'm thinking specifically about the work experience, because, of course, over the last two years, that's been curtailed um, significantly, if not had the kibosh on it completely. Certainly M hasn't had any opportunities for work experience and and as she's looking around to see if she can get those little bits to put on the cv it's difficult because employers are naturally nervous about taking on more stuff so then when thinking about sort of the, the next step in the institution it becomes seemingly more important to 
as in more important than it was before, to think about the kinds of connections that that institution might have with sort of other local businesses or areas that can help to sort of further that interest in, in whatever career it is they're looking to pursue. Yeah, no, absolutely. On a Wednesday afternoon, we have a community-based afternoon programme. It's called our EDGE project. And we have pupils going everywhere, you know, up to the local dementia centre. They're into the park, so they might be working alongside, you know, the park wardens, tidying up bits and pieces, you know, into local primary schools, doing, you know, sort of reading. And yes, you know, during the pandemic, nothing like that could happen. But now that we're coming out the other side of things slowly things are beginning to open up I mean my pupils last year couldn't get any as you say work experience but a lot of them actually then did amazing things like taught themselves how to play a musical instrument from scratch or learned a new you know hobby and all of a sudden that was being a feature of their application forms or going on their CV a lot of them signed up to the open university and did short courses just to extend their studies or, you know, actually take their studies in a whole different way of thinking. Yes, it was an awful time for everybody, but it did actually make us creative about actually how you went about doing things. Yeah, I don't think it was all doom and gloom, but it was just different, wasn't it? I think it's interesting. And I say interesting, and I think I almost mean youthfully exhausting to think about the <laughs> these kids who are sort of doing all the other bits and pieces that they need to on top of sort of studies or worrying about exams or the other sort of adolescent young people things that, that go through their head. Because this is actually quite a tricky time, isn't it? If we go back to the year 11s for them to, I suppose, start weighing up these kinds of things as well, isn't it? Well, yes. I mean, if you think about, I mean, I often had conversations with teachers, sixth form of teachers round about now where they get, I can't believe, you know, they're, they're in the sixth form now and they're, you know, and they're just not doing enough study. And you say, well, hang on a minute, a few weeks ago, and it literally was a few weeks ago, they were in year 11 and their timetable was rammed. They didn't have free time to then suddenly expect over the summer for them to suddenly, I don't know, flick a switch and become an independent, you know, oh, yes, I've got 50 minutes now. I'm not going to chill out and play a game of cards or whatever or watch a sneaky film on Netflix. I'm going to get my books out and I'm going to study. It's it's not something that just happens overnight. And so there, that's where my sixth form tutors really come into play. They are an amazing crowd of people um, and, you know, a different focus. So with the lower sixth, it is about developing those independent skills and making them, you know, move from being a spoon-fed year 11 to being uh, on the road, shall we say, to uh, a fully-fledged independent thinking, planning, managing their own time, you know, individual. And let's face it, a lot of adults haven't managed to crack a lot of those skills. My mum always laughs at me and says, oh, really? Yes, you're talking to the kids about time management when, you know, you're always late. That expectation of them just obviously, you know, just transitioning over six weeks of the summer is, I think, a little impractical. And that's so true. And something that we've heard a lot is that gulf almost that there exists between the year 11 GCSEs where you've got sort of upwards of eight or nine different subjects that you're learning. And then you come to A-level, you've got three in an EPQ, perhaps four A-levels that they're studying. And of course, vocational and other options that we might touch on in a minute and free time. And as you say, that's a sort of something that students don't typically seem to know how best to use, do they? No, they don't. And so 
early on in their first term, you know, our tutors sit down with them with their timetables. And, you know, it's very exciting because you know, all of a sudden they've got these blanks, but actually get them to put in what subjects they're going to focus on in that particular, but then allow them a proper free. And in, in our school, they've got lunchtime privileges, which means basically that they are allowed off site, off the school site and into the metropolis that is Warminster. <laughs> which is laughable really there's there's Morrisons and a few cafes but anyway it's very exciting and that's and glamorous oh totally I mean who wouldn't who wouldn't want to rush off so we try to sort of look and say well if you had this lesson here it's just before lunch you could have a slightly longer lunch and that could be your free you know maybe only have a couple of those maybe have one we have a very long day so our lessons go on to five o'clock so, you know, maybe have a, if you've got a free on a four to five, maybe one of those is again a genuine free. And maybe that's towards the end of the week when you might be absolutely knackered. And in fact, you will be. And again, it's, it's just getting that sort of headspace and then getting them to identify where do they best work? Because we've got a sixth form centre, but it's never silent. I mean, it's a beautiful building. I love it, but it's always quite noisy. And if you're somebody that needs absolute silence, maybe planning in some of those study lessons to be in the library, say, is going to guarantee you, you know, where you can really get into, you know, a zone. But it's it's about encouraging them to take that planning process and make it theirs. And that's worked with my daughter when she was adapting into sort of sixth form studies. I think one of the biggest things for her was she was studying sciences and most of her friends were studying, you know, sort of humanities and English subjects and their freeze didn't always match up. And so that was an absolute catastrophe in the first week of the sixth form. I'm never going to see, I'm never going to see Hetty. So actually, look, why don't the pair of you sit down with your timetables and agree when you're going to meet? And it was like a rocket science moment for her. You know, it worked. But it, it's just giving them that that kind of element of control and and making sure that the expectations of those lessons then are are, are quite clear. Because there is at that stage, I think also from a parenting point of view, that I think a lot of parents, when the children go on from their GCSEs to A-levels or further education, sort of think, right, well, now you're on your own. You sort of, you made this decision and we'll step back. And I wonder how much of an impact that has. And if there's much more, and quite rightly so too, much more freedoms at school which is right it, it shows that they, they're becoming more independent as you say on the road to being fully fledged humans but also at home I think parents as I say sort of think well I don't I, it was difficult enough to try to encourage you or help you when you were 15 and 16 and the 17 and 18 is I don't don't stand a chance so is it a case that the the earlier you can embed those kinds of good behaviors and certainly as an individual sort of have them developed that the easier it becomes later as you go into A-levels. I absolutely think that if you could nail it early in the lower sixth, then it just makes everything so much more pleasant. I mean, don't get me wrong, it is still a very stressful time because instantly, you know, year 11 pupils will go, yeah, I've got two years in the sixth form, but it's not two years. You know, it's not two years. At best and at most, it's 18 months. And so when you start whittling back that time, then you can feel the pressures of mounting. So I think getting into those study habits early is absolutely crucial if you're going to nail those top grades. Or it's not, it's not all about nailing those top grades. It's about actually doing yourself justice. 
because I'm equally proud of pupils that get, you know, D and E grades because, you know, actually they never envisaged themselves staying in the sixth form, being able to achieve, you know, A-levels or, you know, their vocational qualifications or, you know, their IB programme, and, and yet there they have. And, OK, they might not be the highest scoring pupils, but they've gone and achieved that and made their mark and are ready to do, you know, their next step. So You mentioned their IB, and I think for... For many parents whose children are going through this now, IB is going to be something that's that's new to them because it wasn't the kind of thing that was around for us, I don't think so anyway. So a lot of the parents, I guess, who are hearing about this for the first time will be given their introductions from sick form heads if they're going on open days. But I wondered if you could just suppose, tell us what the IB is and, and even why, why it's here. Why is it an option that students should be considering? Okay, well, I mean, in my school, we offer A-levels, and then we have two IB programmes. And then we offer the IB diploma, which is probably more common as an option. The IB diploma is equivalent in A-levels to sort of four and a half in total. And in terms of UCAS points, that's what you, you kind of attract if you follow an IB. Now, the IB is an institution. It's, a, it's an international award. So for our pupils, we've got quite a few international pupils that come to study with us. What it gives them is flexibility to return to their own country to go to university. A lot of them want to study in America, and America really quite value the IB over A-levels, if I'm being totally honest. So it's, it's just got a bit more of a global passport to it. So the IB diploma is you study six subjects, and you choose them from a bucket. So each of them is quite prescriptive. So you, you have to study your own language. You have to study another language. You have to study maths. You have to study a science. You have to study a, a humanities type subject. And then you've got your sixth subject, which is either something from visual or performing arts, or if that doesn't float your boat, you can use your sixth bucket to go back and specialise in one of the other areas. For, say, somebody looking at medicine, they might want to pick up another science in that sixth option. Or if you were heavily into arts, you might want to pick up a, a, you know, another music option instead of you know, one of the others. And then alongside that, you have a core that you have to study as well. And the core is an extended essay, which is a little bit like an EPQ in that you, know, you go through exactly the same sort of process. You come up with a question, you research it. You present your findings and a conclusion and you reference it. And universities love the EPQ and they also love the extended essay because it's a little bit like doing your university dissertation. So, you know, they're thinking, great, this is person's already trained up. That's marvellous. Thank you very much. Tick that box. And then they also have, as well as their extended essay, they have to do something called CAS, which develops their community type skills. So, they have to do some service type volunteering. They have to show that they've learned new skills by being active and they have to extend their creativity. And so they produce a portfolio in order to evidence that. And then the last aspect that they have is something called theory of knowledge, which is questioning right and wrong and looking at ethics. So it's a very full programme. Mm. And really broad as well. I guess it sounds... Actually, it sounds like it's exactly the kind of thing that I'd have liked to have done when I was doing my A-levels because I, I didn't know what, what I wanted to do next. And so I, I kept my A-levels deliberately broad, maths, English, language. So that kind of thing sounds like it would suit the student who 
well, you mentioned medicine, so obviously it also suits those who are focused. But but for those who are, I guess, more open to what opportunities might come next. Absolutely. I mean, it does give that flexibility, really, that you're not dropping a subject and you're not specialising too soon, which some people, when they go from into an A-level programme, just think, oh, my God, you're only I only need to do three subjects. Now, for a lot of kids, that's like, yes. But then, for, you know, for others, it's like, oh, well, what would I, you know, I, I, oh, I'd really quite like to carry on with. So in which case, then, the IB is worth having a look at. I remember that from Jake. And I think M's going to be exactly the same, to be honest. That sheer joy projecting forward to think, I don't have to do any more English. I don't know other students will pick different things that they'd want to drop. And just really want to come back to that, I suppose, is, is think about how do you go around picking what subjects you would want to do or you ought to do next? For me, it would be there's two particular paths. One would be for those people that are, know their next step, which it seems weird when you're having conversations with year 11s and I'm saying, fast forward 18 months, what are you going to do then? Because that will help us think about what you do in the sixth form. And so if you're a pupil that knows that they, you know, definitely want to go to university and they, you know, they're thinking of a particular area at university, then that's easy because you can fast forward and then think, right, if that's what you want to do, then you're going to need to do this subject, this subject and this subject. And then all you need to decide is whether or not it's A-levels or a vocational slant, which is, you know, another thing to throw into the mix, which I think is fantastic. But for parents, it's a bit of a, oh, what, even more choices now. You know, you can almost see their frustration of, no, just just do it. <laughs> or then you have a second path where, you know, a pupil just doesn't know. They have absolutely no idea whether or not, you know, they want to go to university. As let's face it, it's not the be-all and end-all. And they also have no idea of what career they might, or an area that, of work that they might want to pursue later on. That's only natural. So to those pupils, I would say choose subjects. Well, you would like to think that both pathways would choose subjects that they love, you know, because it's going to be so much easier if you're studying things that you like. Um, it's going to be a pretty hard slog if you're going to choose subjects that you're not going to like. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody gets it right. To me, that's a fundamental, you know, why would you want to, you know, keep beating yourself, you know, doing a subject that you're just going to hate? You know, unless, of course, you've got a particular pathway in mind and you know that that one subject out of your three or four that you might choose is going to be a bit of your Achilles heel. Then, you know, you can almost accept that it's you might have a little, you know, bugbear. But the long term gain is that you'll eventually make your, you know, place. Then, as you say, you'd think your longer term ambition would sort of marry with the subjects that you like to. No point thinking I really want to be a doctor if I hate biology. It would seem to be <laughs> sort of counterproductive. And one of the things I think that certainly we've noticed is that there are so many choices in, in A-levels and also the vocationals, as you say, and so many more than the, there were available to the vast majority of students at GCSE. So even my daughter's school will offer subjects like psychology, that weren't available as a GCSE. And so it's difficult then, is it, to sort of counsel them on, on what it is that they love and what it is that they would like to do for the next 18 months, well, and in nine months' time, because actually she's got no point of reference. She's never, never done them. I guess then, for me, it's unpicking what is that course. For psychology, 
then believe it or not, there's quite a lot of maths in psychology. Uh, that's the first thing I say, because psychology in our school is ridiculously popular. It also matches with whatever's popular on TV at the time. So, you know, if CSI starts up a new series, then we get a sort of blast of forensic scientists. Oh, really? Oh, yes. And, you know, and then <laughs> if there's some sort of psychology, you know, sort of type, pro then that'll be it. Oh, my goodness, I must do this because I'll just be, it'll just be as it is on the telly. I'm going to be a profiler. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that'll be me, um, which, you know, it's really exciting. And it's, so it's getting that fine line between dashing their hopes totally, but being realistic about actually... You know, so psychology is a, is a newish subject. In our school, it's really, really popular. But it's about making them aware that actually their math skills are going to have to be quite strong, that there's a massive amount of biology in it, as well as, you know, a lot of discussion, essays. So again, it's looking at the skills that you would need to be successful in that. So if you've got a young person that really, you know, struggles with lots of essay writing, you know, subjects like history, politics, psychology are going to be hard <laughs> because they demand lots of essay writing. So it's it's about unpicking, I think, the subjects and making sure that the kids understand and their parents that, you know, actually what's required if they're studying that so that they go into it with their eyes open. For some students, they'll have determined, OK, I really want to do a language a level or, or pick any other subject because they think it's their strongest one and then when they come through their GCSEs either they don't perform as well as they'd hoped or they change their minds typically how set are students with what they've picked early on as having to do when they then get to their institution of choice and I realize as I asked this that the rules and the approaches are going to vary from one institution to another broadly and I and I guess my driver for this is thinking it seems like such an early stage for pupils to be picking what they want to do. So I'm just wondering how set in stone is it? Well, for our school, we do a sort of straw poll in year 11. You know, choose any five subjects that you would, you know, that you would want to do. Now, we use that to then help us create timetable blocks. And fundamentally, as frustrating as it is for parents and pupils, the timetable is often the sticking point you know, different schools and colleges will do it differently. In my previous school, we used to make the blocks and then, you know, issue the blocks and then deal with pupils that wanted to do what we would call odd combinations. So you've got the, that kind of thing in the mix. But assuming that everything is all swimming and they start, what a number of institutions will do is say, why don't you, if you're unsure, start on four and then drop to three you can almost see a sort of sigh of relief oh I could do that yes yes that's absolutely you know uh, I mean I know some schools will say you have to continue with four but actually universities only give offers on three A levels so you know I wouldn't pressurize anybody to stick with four I would far rather that they got three strong grades than four not so strong there's different ways, you know, about it. But for pupils that are a little bit unsure between one or two subjects, let's say, for example, we've mentioned psychology already, you know, that that might go in. And so they try it. We see how things go. And I say October half term really is your cutoff because you, you've already lost seven weeks. If you're swapping to a brand new subject, you've got to make up seven weeks worth of work. And that is a big ask. 
That is a big ask. Even the most committed people will struggle. So there is an element of, you know, nothing really is set in stone. And there's always those. I mean, I've got one particular girl who's decided that actually out of the blue, she wants to swap sports studies to computer science. And I was like, okay, right. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> that is... Fabulous. <laughs> Not something no. we'd planned for. Not, I would imagine, a common switch no. either. I, wouldn't have I mean, I'm fortunately sure. for her... It actually works timetable block wise, but it certainly, you know, so we had very interesting conversation and she was, you know, she'd done her research. She just went, she said, you know, I'm just really enjoying. She'd done actually an open university course over the summer and she's missing it. And actually on then looking at the work. So well, I didn't, I got the computer science studies person to, to look at it. He actually said, well, actually that's quite a lot of the module that we've done already. So she's lucky that's not always the case. But yeah, you know, so I, I would say if, if anybody was unsure, my advice to them would be go with more subjects and drop. But certainly it doesn't seem, what you said, worth sticking with a subject that you don't like. Because as you say, you're you're doing this for a long while. And, and if you don't enjoy a subject, you're never going to sort of do yourself the justice that we talked about earlier. No. In the sixth form, the sixth form is your, your, you know, your pre-university you know, you really should be reading around your subject and, and you're only going to do that if you're passionate about the subjects that you are studying. Or let's say it will be easier for you to pick up related texts or, you know, do some research around a subject if you're actually interested in it. Much, much harder if it's if it's the, a hard slog. And so really that seems to be the thing that parents, I guess, should be or could be focusing on now when it comes to looking at what the students want to do next. And on the one hand, we've got where they'll be, which, as you say, is based on where the fit is. And that for some might be a change and for some might be absolutely no change at all. And the other is really trying to sort of identify what they're going to thrive in, what they really enjoy. It is a difficult time because, again, you know, they'll be doing things like badgering you to learn to drive you know, and then you get the whole social aspect of the sixth form and, and the increasing independence, the wanting to go out to parties and do we mention alcohol now? And, you know, all the whole sort of experimenting with that sort of side of things because that's a, a natural part of growing up. So, I mean, in our sixth form, we have sixth form socials, which now that we're coming out of this pandemic, she says, touching wood, we're able to do more of those, but, you know, in 18 months' time, you know, my sixth formers, my lower sixth, if they go to university, won't have any rules at all. You know, they won't have anybody saying, what time are you going to be home tonight? You know, should you be really drinking that? They won't have any of that. And so for me, yes, sixth form is, is about qualifications, but it's also about developing them as responsible young adults who are going to accept the rights but also accept the responsibilities that go with that and if you meet anybody that's nailed it I'd love to meet them <laughs> you know from you know having having lived through it with my with my own teenage daughter and it wasn't that turbulent at all but you know there were some interesting discussions to be had about you know, I'm, no, you're not going to that party because their parents aren't going to be there. You must think I was born yesterday. And what do you mean there's going to be boys there? Oh, my goodness. You know, and all of that sharp intake of breath. So, you know, it's, it's a nice way to let them, you know, grow up and fly the nest because ultimately that's what they're going to do. 
you know, successful young people, that is what they're going to do. That's what you want them to do. I'm thinking that a requirement of any potential college for M should be that their head of sixth form is even nearly as fabulous as Jill was. I really loved hearing her take on life after GCSEs. There's plenty to think about, but it's reassuring to know that there are people out there, like Jill, who are there to help our teens, and us, their parents, to make sensible decisions about further education. The move to sixth form, or college, feels like a proper milestone. And as Jill pointed out, it marks another milestone on the way to our children being fully-fledged, card-carrying adults, even if for some of us that goal can feel quite far away. I think it's a really tricky time to be making these kinds of decisions because it also looks at what kinds of subjects they should be studying, what type of qualification they should be doing, A-levels, vocational, IB as Jill said, and for many they'll also be wondering whether they should stay in their school or move to another institution altogether. This is a difficult mix of practical and emotional considerations all at one time and at the same time we really want them to be focused on their GCSEs too. Now, many teens won't be sure what they want to do on, on any of those fronts. And let's be honest, it's not overly straightforward for us parents either. The approach that we've taken with Emily is to explore all of the possibilities. We've looked at other sick forms, we've sort of covered off a whole range of subjects. Although Emily is quite clear on what she doesn't want to do, there's still a whole smorgasbord of options that are open to her. Now, I could fairly confidently lay money on her staying at her school, and also I reckon I could have a good go at what subjects she'll be studying. But I think it's really important that this feels like something that she's leading. Because that's part of the whole process, isn't it? Putting them in charge of their futures while we're still around to offer a safety net. And they're going to find themselves with a lot more responsibility the moment they enter Year 12. It's a big step certainly with independent learning, and as we heard, having great study skills and good organisational habits is going to be key. Freedom in the timetable is great if you know how to use it, as Jill explained. And for many, the lure of blocks on the timetable without any lessons is perhaps too great a temptation not to make use of the pool table or whatever other sixth form perks that haven't been available to them before. That's not to say that our teens shouldn't be enjoying their free periods. As Jill explained, it's about finding a balance of being sensible about the work that needs to be done and planning ahead. Now, to that extent, it sounds quite a lot like GCSEs, but the key difference, as we heard from Jill and from many guests before, is that A-levels are a significant step on from GCSEs. Reading around a subject isn't now just about what gets you those top marks, it seems to be about what's needed to get a good mark. And getting the best grades you can is key. An increasingly competitive world of outside of education. And that's why it's so important not just to find the subjects that they'll enjoy, but that match the students' underlying abilities and preferences. As Jill said, psychology might be fascinating, according to the latest Netflix series, but it's heavily maths and science based and so may not suit everyone. It feels really, really odd to be thinking about all of this when we're in the midst of mocks and GCSE studies. But 
it's important to look ahead, check out what's available and talk with sixth form tutors. It's going to be a hard slog if they don't enjoy their courses and none of us want that. My thanks to Jill for making time in her half-term to chat with me and to you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed listening to Jill as much as I did. And if you did, how would you like to be on a future episode and share your story? Real mums and dads and teachers sharing how things are going for them. If you're up for a chat, please do get in touch. And you can reach me at hello at thestudybuddy.com. And if you're looking for ways that you can support your own young person to develop strong study skills that will help them in their approach to their GCSEs and beyond in their A-levels, then why not head over to the Study Buddy website? There you'll find a whole host of information about our innovative time management and study organising approach, and you'll also find a blog packed full of useful articles, hints and tips. To find out more, why not make a beeline for the studybuddy.com. If you found yourself nodding away to this episode, or perhaps if you found a nugget of something you're going to try out with your own team, would you mind leaving us a review, and if it's not too much to ask, a five-star rating? It all helps us reach other parents who, like us, are just looking to make some sense in the run-up to exams. Of course, don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's all greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.